0: On, pop. Welcome to Switched On Pop. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding,
1: and I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. Nate, check out this
0: song. It's from the soundtrack of Killing Eve.
1: That's a lot happening there. (laughs) Choirs, organs, plucked bass, a wandering chord progression. What does it all mean? We're going to get into it, and it's going to be a fun adventure.
0: BBC America reached out to us to see if we wanted to do a piece on the music of Killing Eve, and I enthusiastically said yes. If you haven't seen the show, Killing Eve is this spy murder mystery romance comedy comedy (laughs) ostensibly a cat-and-mouse between Detective Eve and killer Villanelle. Even for people who haven't watched the show yet, this is some fascinating music. We're going to dig into the multinational European spy thriller sound that has Euro, French pop, Italian pop, British dance music- all kinds of really cool sounds, some psychedelic stuff I'd never heard before from the 60s. And what I wanted to think about today was how can the music of a show establish the emotion of a given character? In this case, we're going to be talking about the character Villanelle. She's the antagonist. She is a killer, an assassin, supported by the music. She is psychopathic. You should never tell a psychopath. they are a psychopath. It upsets them. Desirous. You like me too much. Detached. Most days, I feel nothing. Erratic.
1: (laughs) I just want to have dinner with you!
0: Passionate. You're mine! And deranged. I'm going to kill you nicely. But then I'm going to make a mess of your body afterwards, so it looks worse than it is. And we have a song for each of those qualities. So let's jump right into the first. If there were just one song that captured her character, it would be Killer Shangri-La by Psychotic Beats. This song is important because it's what we hear when we see the first live kill by Villanelle. She rides on a motorcycle into Tuscany and is hunting down a sort of mob boss. The scene actually echoes The Godfather. It's a party, everyone's outside having a good time, and she seduces the older patriarch into a bedroom and she kills him gruesomely with a hairpin. I have to kill you. So imagine you hadn't (laughs) heard any of the words. How would you describe the musical textures of what's going on here?
1: Yeah, it's like a a 1950s doo-wop track or something. Yeah. Definitely. And you would think the theme would be about romantic love, kissing under the stars, taking your sweetheart out for a drive in your Oldsmobile. Maybe even walking in the rain. Well, let's not go too too crazy, Charles. And there is the or text. What is that? That's the Renettes walking in the rain. The
0: Renettes, produced by Phil Spector, also a convicted killer like Phil oh. Kind of makes sense that we might reference this material. Huh. But what Psychotic Beats do with the source material is they take this 1964 track and mm. take what is you know about desire for romance. These singers who want to go walking in the rain with their potential love and flip it on its head It's like I love you so much that I had to kill you yeah. And so it is inherently psychopathic and I think we can even hear it in the way in which The piece is sung here's patty Armore, the vocalist I To kill The voice is monotone, right? There is really no emotion, fixless, yeah. right? And I think part of the reason why that Phil Spector wall of sound character works is that the voice is distant. It feels like it's placed in this giant, echoey chamber. It doesn't feel directed in your face, it almost feels like it's haunting you. We even get the same thunder in the very beginning of the song, kind of like we hear in Walking in the Rain.
1: Yeah, it's almost like Killer Shangri-La finds this discontent that is buried in those 1960s girl groups mm. and really brings it to the surface and shows it to you, it's like it wasn't as rosy as we thought back then. Here's all the right, the emotions and fear and anger coming to the surface. Everything that was buried in the 1960s is now coming to light.
0: Yeah. And that piece sort of sets the tone for the rest of the show and the rest of the stuff that we're going to hear today. So if the first quality is about a psychopathic killer, the next quality that we see in Villanelle and in the music is desire. Mm. It's the song We Are Unloved, an instrumental by the band Unloved. This song, We Are Unloved by Unloved, is sort of like the undergirding scoring of the show. It comes back again and again and informs all of the other scored material. Yeah. I get this sense of, like, it has this, like, lusting desire in it. I want to break this down, because I think as the piece builds, as does that sort of, like, that strong want that's going on. Yeah. The song begins with a bell and an ambulance like siren. Almost like a death knell, but it's also sort of like that desire strikes and then it's building and building and building. And then the music comes in. We have bass Mm -hmm. and guitars and mellotron, the 60s sounds that we heard in the Killer Shangri La
1: piece. Yeah. Mellotron. You can't just drop mellotron and not (laughs) pause for a moment to explain what that magical instrument is.
0: Yeah, that's a beautiful one. Mellotron is one of the first sampled instruments, it was a keyboard. That yeah. you could play strings, organ, flutes, and other sounds, choirs. It's probably most famously used by the Beatles on a track like Strawberry Fields Forever.
1: Let me take you down, cause I'm going to Strawberry Fields. I wanna stress that the way this keyboard samples these sounds is by actually having pieces of cassette tape inside the device that are triggered every time you play a key. Yeah. It is extraordinary and incredibly fragile, as you might imagine. So... Not a lot of these have survived from the 1960s to now.
0: Yeah, there's very few left. There are, of course, uh, people who have created emulations of them. So we don't mm. know if this is the original or the emulation that we're hearing. Yeah. And we are unloved. But what it's doing is it's definitely putting us in that sort of 60s soundscape, psychedelic, kind of woozy, uncertain. Like, it's hallucinatory, right?
1: Mm. Yeah, a little psychedelic. Yeah. And it's
0: because that tape machine is a little wobbly. Yeah, it's got a little little
1: warp, warp and woof to it.
0: Whatever sound is being approximated here, some kind of wind ensemble in the Beatles, doesn't really sound like a wind ensemble. It just sounds like its own thing. It sounds like a Mellotron.
1: What about that plucked bass? It's got some kind of reverb or something on it. It's like you hear the note and then you hear this like crackle afterwards or something.
0: Yeah. So that for me is not unlike what we heard in the Renettes or Killer Shangri-La, right? Uh-huh. It's that big reverbing wet wall of sound kind of thing very very 60s-esque and the mellotron and bass together oh it's unsettling yeah only further emphasized by the fact what they're playing is this ascending chromatic line Oh, it just like keeps going up and up and up
1: note by note. And then it goes back down again and it then, then tries to climb up. Right. I see. It. This is like thwarted desire. It's frustrated desire. Mm, mm, yeah. And that's why it sounds a little unhealthy, perhaps, because <laughs> it's, d- it's desire without an outlet. It climbs up chromatically and then it drops back down and it does it over and over again. It's not in a good place. Later on, we get
0: wild thrashing drums and these dark vocal ooze that for me, I think as you kind of point out, it was like there is there's some frustration. Like I know what I want, mm. and maybe I'm not getting it. So, we've got psychopathic and desirous. Wow. The third quality that I get from Villanelle and from the music finally takes us back to an old song, because the first two tracks are actually contemporary songs that have been reimagined in their production to be from the past. Let's go back to the real 1960s, 1968 to be precise. This is Bridget Bardot's Contact.
1: Well, that's absurdly fun. (laughs) I mean, I was this year's old when I found out that Brigitte Bardot, in addition to being an internationally known actress and sex symbol, was also a musical artist. I might not describe that as singing, per se, Mm. as much as spoken word over a, like, total space-age beat or something.
0: You got it all right, because, again, the quality we're hearing here is detachment. In fact, when Mm. we hear this song in the show, it's at a moment where the killer Villanelle is preparing a deadly perfume for someone that she's going to assassinate with it. It's a very loaded mode of killing. A perfume
1: is a special present, it's lustrous. Well, it's like so many of these songs we've listened to take something kind of that we associate with lightness and femininity Mm. and introduce this darkness and danger to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this a Serge Gainsbourg production by any chance? It absolutely is, how did you know that? Uh, I got a few tricks up my sleeve. (laughs) You know, when I think of Gainsbourg, I think of songs like Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde.
0: Bonnie and Clyde.
1: Which also have this mix of romance and danger. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All smashed together.
0: You had pointed out that our vocalist isn't quite singing, that there's something a little bit amiss
1: in this track. How's your French? Je peux parler un peu de français si nécessaire, mais c'est pas mal. Yeah.
0: My French is bad. I dropped out of my French classes very early on. Oh, tant pis. But with a little translation help from our mutual friend Victoire, I was able to discern these lyrics. So Ah, merci Victoire. <laughs> so Bardot is actually singing from the character of an alien landing on Earth, crying for medical attention because she's been hit by a meteorite and needs like a mercury transplant or something.
1: That was perfectly clear. I think I think everyone <laughs> understood that, you know, immediately after hearing that clip. So And so we- kind of redundant, Charlie, but but you know, please continue. <laughs>
0: Okay, my point being, actually your point, which is that she's not really singing. She's kind of just talking through it. It's, it has that quality of like, hi, I am alien person Charlie Harding and I know how to speak with emotion, right? It doesn't mm. actually translate as human. It's clearly kind of alien and other and detached, that quality mm. that we're getting from our character Villanelle. And- As she cries out for help, she's saying, like, I want to make contact. I love what she gets in response. (sighs) Nothing. Just echoing out into space. Whoa. Nobody is responding to her. There is just this ticking along guitar, this very high guitar note almost like a clock she's waiting trying to Mm. connect with people nobody can connect with her screaming into the void Nate the next song on our list is one of my all time favorite songs it is totally erratic and wild we're going to listen to it after the break relief with Astapro, go to astaproallergy.com for a discount. That's A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief, nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latinx culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month We have music here which is psychopathic, desirous, and detached. It is also erratic. And as I said, this piece is one of my favorite songs of all time.
1: Shh, you're all alone, shh, shh. and so peaceful until.
0: It's Oh So Quiet by Betty Hutton from 1951 was the trailer for the season two of Killing Eve. It captures so well the character of Villanelle, who's this erratic character. I love this song, though, because I actually had never heard this version of the piece. I was more familiar with a middle school favorite of mine, Bjork's cover of It's Oh So Quiet.
1: And I was introduced to that Bjork version when we recorded our podcast about her many moons ago. Mm. So this is really cool to hear the original. And once again, we have like this kind of nice side and this dark side.
0: <laughs> right. You're absolutely right about the, the light and the dark. I want to talk about that in just a second. But I was surprised to hear that Björk is not the only cover. In fact, this Betty Hutton version is also a cover. What? The real song is actually a German song from the 40s called
1: Und Geist ist es still? Uh, Entschuldigung. <laughs> what? What? What just came out of your mouth? Okay. Nate, you
0: studied German.
1: <laughs> yeah, ein bisschen Deutsch, Yeah, Ich kann. So
0: Nate, in your best German, what is the name of this song?
1: Und jetzt ist es still. By? Harry Horst Winter, ja. Yeah. Horst? Ja, genau. Winter? Sehr gut. Es ist unheimlich still. Psst. Jetzt kommt ein Drach. Und was kommt dann da? Zieh, komm, dann kommt der Lopper. fascinating yeah
0: so i love that this song has gone through multiple versions and eras and nationalities because the show does the same sort of thing right we have this sort of pan-european spy thriller we have to jump between all of these different places the musical insight though that you were pointing to is that this track has a dual personality Mm. what's going on here in the verse how would you describe it it's
1: oh so quiet. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh so quiet. Shh, shh. it's oh We have this whispered ASMR like kind of shh refrain. Sparse instrumental textures, and then crash bang boom.
0: Until you fall in love. Zing
1: boom. An entire big band shows up to the party out of nowhere the vocalist escalates their singing by about 50 decibels and we're in a whole new musical world totally i
0: think we can even think about the quiet part and the loud part as you pointed out as almost having two distinct genres the first is like 1950s schmaltz it reminds me mm. of one of roger and hammerstein's most famous works some enchanted evening and here's a version by Joe Stafford. Some enchanted evening You may see a stranger You may see a stranger Shh,
1: shh. it's oh so quiet shh, shh. it's oh so still Knock, knock. Who's there? Sam and Janet. Who's Sam and Janet? (laughs) Sam Sam and and Janet Janet evening. (laughs) You may meet a stranger. So you know this one. Yeah. Well, you know what Cole Porter said after he he heard it for the first time? What's that? Took a long drag of a cigarette and said, can you believe it took two people to write a song?
0: (laughs) I thought it took like ten. 5.2
1: is the average Is the average right now in pop music, that's funny (laughs) Cole would not approve Okay, back to our point Okay,
0: fine Verse, quiet, 50 schmaltz Chorus, frenetic, wild, big Mm. band For me, it's like, this is like Duke Ellington's band
1: skin deep that checks out
0: (laughs) I like the compositional trick of using two wholly different genres to say something about the dual nature of this person's love and it fits perfectly with the character that is trying to both be a dangerous psychopathic killer but also romantically in love with the person that's chasing her Mm. and that brings us to our fifth quality passion Villanelle's a passionate Mm. character. And there is some music here, which is extremely sentimental and very passionate. In a rare sonic departure from the show, we're going to move very briefly from the 1960s into the 1980s. There's this great scene in the show where she's driving in the car, looking longingly out the window, thinking of her lover, while her driver, this older ex-Soviet spy, Konstantin, who's her handler, is trying to connect with her. And this music is playing on the tape deck or over the radio. it and it has this quality of being like hey check it out on this ex-soviet spy this is the music of my youth how cool am i the song is entirely not cool it is all just cheese it's all sentiment we get it through digital keyboards strings and all chorus that is the name of the song listen to your heart listen to your heart It gets wild and over the top with metal guitars and 80s gated drums. You Do you know the song by Roxette?
1: Oh, yeah, I know this song by Roxette. I've never considered it being used as the soundtrack for a professional assassin's reverie, but uh, that's a cool dissonance, I think. Mm. Like, even assassins have feelings.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and yeah, I think sort of as you're pointing to some of the other songs that we've discussed, like, there is this dual nature where, even though this is a song about following your heart, I think if we listen to the timbres... In today's context they feel cold calculated mm. unnatural oh interesting right like when you hear that digital keyboard and those fake strings at the top of the song it doesn't feel quite right it's off kilter it's not played by someone with real emotion in a certain way mm. So, even though the antagonist Villanelle is passionate, she is ultimately quite deranged. Hmm. She is an untrustworthy character. Even though we sort of fall in love with her, as much as she is the enemy of the show, she's ultimately unreliable. One of my favorite songs in the whole playlist is another French piece that our friend Victoire helped me translate La plus belle chanson. By Jacqueline Taib. Back to the 60s. Yeah.
1: This
0: song, like, the Bjork, Betty Hutton.
1: Harry Horse Winter.
0: Yes, just like It's So Quiet, this song too has sort of multiple personalities going on here and it sounds quite deranged. Let's get into it. So in the verse, we've got this dark minor thing going on. This song is playing in the background when the antagonist is actually at a weak point, kind of is injured and stumbling through the streets of Paris. Hmm. And the lyrics are, A rainy day in a sleepy city, it's winter, it's cold for good, and in the streets the wind howls to death. What a funny idea to make a song of it.
1: That's in the lyrics you're saying. You're not commenting on that. That is the translation from the French. So it's kind of this meta-like reflection on making a song. Wait, okay, I, I, help me out here. What?
0: You're exactly right. This is like basically someone writing a song from the perspective of I'm going to write a song. Here's what I'm writing about. I'm writing about what's happening out in the streets. It's dreary. It's cold as death. It's wind is howling. Mm. And I'm going to try to
1: write a song. How funny is it to make a song about this? It's like this eternal artistic conundrum, you know, how do you take what is happening in the world around you and filter it through the sieve of your brain into sound?
0: That is a perpetual challenge, especially in trying to figure out what part of reality do you want to represent? And when we get into the chorus of La Plus belle Chanson, things take a really different turn. I don't know if you caught any of the French, but we can get a sense that the song has turned in a different direction.
1: I mean, I understood every word, but for the <laughs> listeners, maybe you should uh, you know, offer, offer Victoire's translation.
0: She's saying the most beautiful song in the world.
1: I'm not the one who will write it. The most beautiful song in the world. I know it. Interesting. So is this back to our unreliable narrator a little bit? I think so. Because I feel like I don't trust the author of this song. Exactly. She's not telling us the whole story. Or we're getting part of it. She's
0: trying to say, like, I'm writing the most beautiful song in the world. I know the song. But I also, I can't write it because life is terrible everything around me is crap Uh, and yet maybe that will inspire the most beautiful song in the world to your point about the unreliable narrator like I actually think that this isn't so much about being unreliable I really think it's about being deranged and not knowing oneself like being totally lost okay yeah
1: yeah right it's like
0: it's I'm trying on lots of different things and I'm not even sure where I'm going and I actually think the music is what gives us that clue For me, the music sounds deranged because of what happens, not just in what she's saying, but in this instrumental moment, this little interlude. Like, (laughs) you're losing
1: it. Did you hear any other reference here? Let me think. We've got that 60s farfisa organ, that 3-4 time signature. Not sh- No, no, no I'm not gonna shame myself so It's a sort of musical style That immediately connected
0: to another song For me, like I've only ever heard this sound In a pop song in one other track
1: And of course Henry the Horse Dances the wall Being for the benefit of Mr. Kite by the Beatles, yeah, which are both maybe reaching back towards like this music hall circus kind of vibe. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Okay. It has this feeling of
0: a like really poorly performed DIY circus where the musicians are drunk and the animals didn't show up and you're being tricked by some huckster or circus leader that it it, it is that that triple meter kind of feel it's the percussion but above all for me it's those wild downward chromatic moving lines (laughs)
1: Just this, like, what was that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have no idea what is happening right now, unless you're doing like whale calls.
0: (laughs) Above all, those sounds kind of wraps us back up to the beginning of the show where we had heard that soundtrack piece We Are Unloved where the bass guitar was ascending chromatically and was sort of like this unresolved desire here that desire is just unwinding and falling down.
1: That's what happens to thwarted desire. It comes crashing down.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So to wrap things up here as much as the brilliant performances in Killing Eve help establish our characters with microfacial movements and strong motions conveying emotion. For me, the music sets a backdrop for that whole mood. We have this multifaceted killer who's not just cold, she's also passionate, and ultimately, as we establish, unreliable and unpredictable.
1: This discussion makes me think about how, even though... I'm someone who is overanalyzing music constantly. Yeah. When I'm watching a movie or a TV show, I'm not actually thinking about the music. It's just kind of washing over me and I'm really yeah, right. focused on the narrative and the characters. Sort of pulling focus from the overall story to just think about the music makes me appreciate how the the music directors behind these shows are putting so much thought and sophistication into every one of these decisions. And in a way, I wonder if that's kind of a thankless job because it's one of those roles where if you're doing it well, no one's going to notice because Mm -hmm. it's just going to be so seamless. And every one of those musical cues will tell you something about a character that never has to be put into words. So I want to take this discussion and, and apply it to the other shows and films I watch and think about how, how are these musical choices changing my understanding of what's happening.
0: I love it, Nate. Music builds a whole world, things that we might not even notice that are telling us essential emotional cues about television and ourselves. Switch on Pop is produced by Bridget Armstrong, Megan Lubin, Nishat Kerwa, Liz Nelson, Nate Sloan, and Meet Charlie Harding. Our illustrations are by Iris Gottlieb and Community Engagement by Abby Barr. We're mixed, mastered, and engineered by the fabulous Brandon
1: McFarland. You can find more episodes wherever you get podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. We're out there. And we're a proud member of the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll see you in a week with a piping hot, fresh new episode. And until then...